Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. And to be honest with you, I bet you didn't think I was going to be coming back to you again twice in 24 hours, but I am. I did say that we are not going to take a break for the off-season because, to be honest with you, some of the best moments that Aston Villa fans have are in the off-season when the hope and the expectation and everything is at its highest and we get new players in and suddenly we start off just after the season is finished and we say, God, wouldn't it be great to finish 14th? And by the time the season kicks off, we're already in Europe in our own minds. And, and I love the off-season. I love the, love the, transfers, uh, the transfer window. I love trying to figure out you know, what changes are being made. We've got new, uh, a new um, shirt coming out soon. It's really exciting. It, and and it's, it, this is going to be even more so exciting because it is so short, I suppose, this year as well. But I'm not going to do this on my own because I know that everybody will turn off if they thought... Uh, that I was going to do this on my own. I'm joined by somebody that I, I think the whole Twitterverse nearly knows at this stage. It is the wonderful Stephen, and he will go. He goes by at Villa Analytics on Twitter. So if you aren't following at Villa Analytics, you're actually not as smart as you should be because the amount of information that he puts out on that, t- on that Twitter page actually immediately makes you smarter about the game of football. And I'm delighted to have him here on the show today. Stephen, how the hell are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, that's a very complimentary introduction. <laughs> well, look, you're the one who does all the work. All I can do is say it how I see it, you know. <laughs> I'm a big fan of stats. I'm a big fan of numbers. And I think that numbers, while they're not the be-all and end-all when you do categorize whether something is has been good or bad, I do think it's important to have all the data that you possibly can have at your fingertips to make an informed decision. And I always liken it to, I suppose, a lot 
there's there's a couple of people that, that kind of either agree with that or that they don't. And, and I think Aston Villa are in the situation whereby they agree with that at the moment. And I know we're going to get on and talk a small bit more about analytics, the role that you know that we might feel they they will play in sports as a whole and how it will transfer into football, soccer, I'm going to call it, because we will be talking a small bit about American football in a moment. Um just how it's implemented there. But obviously, Aston Villa, and the reason that I have you on is you wrote an absolute banger of a trade yesterday on Johan Lang, Aston Villa's new technical director. Myself and Paddy were doing a podcast when the news broke yesterday. It's funny because we recorded half the podcast in the morning before I went to work. On my lunch break, I said, Paddy, hop on. We'll finish on that, off that podcast. And next thing, the news broke about Johan Lang. So we were mid, mid-podcast and it did. So we could only kind of talk about what we knew at that time. Now the dust has settled and I've become a lot smarter about the situation from reading your thread. We are in the age of analytics and in the age of, I suppose, uh, spreadsheet scouting along with traditional scouting in Aston Villa. And that is something that Johan Lang brings. But tell me a small bit more about what you feel um, or what you're digging, what, what you've dug into and what you've seen from Johan Lang. A bit more about what you know about him and what he's potentially going to bring to Aston Villa. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, I think statistics are going to become start to play a much bigger part in our recruitment than they did when we had Suso. Uh, I think we'll look to recruit younger players as we already were for the most part. But I think based on Lang's time at Copenhagen, I would guess that we would be going for younger promising talent, uh, probably from the championship and as we move up the league, which we'd all hope we would do. Um, from lower down in the Premier League as well. Um, that's really the way he recruited in Denmark. And I think he should scale it up quite naturally to Villa. And that's an interesting way because this is new to the Premier League. Or I'm going to put new in quotation marks. This is new to the, to the public who supports the Premier League. And I've just had an epiphany there. It's just popped into my mind. Max Ahrens is wanted by Bayern Munich at the moment. Now, mm. if you think about it, and you mentioned there about lower down in the Premier League, as you move up through the food chain of, of clubs, and we'd be looking at players lower in the Premier League, Max Ahrens finished on a team that, 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 that or played in a team that finished stranded at the bottom of the Premier League, devoid of attacking intent for a lot of, the, lot of the year, and conceded a ton of goals. Now, what could one of the best teams ever created in Europe that are probably favourites at this moment in time to win the Champions League. What could they see in a 21-year-old kid that leaked goals for fun and finished mm. in a bad team in the Premier League? So when you look at it, Bayern Munich are, look, are seeing intangibles in him. They're seeing statistics potentially somewhere along the line. That he, maybe he's positioning. Maybe they're seeing... Um, I don't know because obviously uh, I don't know what they're looking for, but they're obviously seeing something like that in him. My mind is also cast back to... The craziest rumor I thought of, of of the whole January transfer window was Anthony, what's his name? Anthony Robinson from Wigan is going to AC Milan for 11 million. And you're going, who the fuck? Who's Anthony Robinson? I've never heard of him. And he was only okay for Wigan in the championship. And then you're kind of going, what are AC Milan doing? They're spending 11 million on a USA international called Anthony Robinson that literally I know that many people know about. But the reason for that is they've probably done some sort of statistical analysis on him and what he does um, and how likely he is to succeed. So it's probably a newish 
technique in the, in the Premier League because I think a lot of owners in the Premier League are a case of, does he cost 18 million? Yeah, well, then we want him because the price dictates the value, I suppose, really. Whereas it's not that that, that won't be the case or that shouldn't be the case. And I think Villa's uh, mindset of bringing in Johan Lang as you mentioned there, would be to maybe pick off the, the, the more promising market inefficiencies that we see at the moment and sign a player for four or five million and have him contribute to the team as it is now and fit that player in towards the team. So, so I like that. But I, I hijacked your, your, your kind of description of Johan Lang there, and I'm so sorry, but it just came into my mind. And uh, I think it kind of married into what you said there about the bigger teams up the food chain picking on the lower teams and, and trying to find mm. what suits them. Yeah, I think we might become sort of a a Brentford-style recruitment team in the way that Brentford use statistics and to recruit young players, not not just from, you know, lower down, but also from across Europe. I'm not sure how much you know about Brentford's, mm. what they, how they run their recruitment department, but I can definitely see Villa going down that sort of route. They run a true FC Michelin in in Denmark as well, which is mm. yeah, yeah, which is uh, and Michelin have had some some big players come through their ranks as well. I know this guy. I I'm almost certain Piona Sisto, uh, who uh, went to Santa Vigo and was linked with Villa and was and football manager Darling came through their ranks as well at some stage, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I think it's a good point now you mentioned Midgeland that people are obviously sceptical uh, in my replies that you know he was doing this in Denmark but can he actually do it in the Premier League but the fact that they were actually competing against Midgeland who are run by the same people that run Brentford who have had the most successful English recruitment department for years now you know it's not like he was competing against nobodies who didn't know what they were doing it was actually actively competing against one of some of the smartest people within football um and winning that battle for the most part and i think that's important as well because what people have to and i hate saying this phrase what people have to understand because i'm not preaching to anyone because these just these things just pop into my mind but i am going to say what people have to understand (laughs) even though i said i wouldn't say it is that if you've got a formula for talent identification, so if you've got, and, and I know that it's, that look, nothing can be formulaic in the sense that human beings are impulsive beings. We do things on impulse. You can't specifically robotically train a person to do something. But in essence, that, that, that thought process is flawed because you do, by, by the very definition of a professional athlete, you're training him to be robotic at a certain thing. So, so by, by the very essence of when people say that, you know, that there's, there's a fallibility in humans and, a, and an unpredictability in humans, yes, that is correct. But for the main point in professional athletes, it can be, um, you can kind of marry that out of the equation because of the fact that they essentially are robotic in a lot of what they do. Center halves are extremely robotic in their movements and in what they do. They have to be because they have to be in unison. If you look at a rugby player, uh, rugby players need to be unbelievably robotic. They're the most manufactured athletes in the whole entire world. But anyway, won't get into that, won't go down that road about, about different athletes and so on. But to, to say that, yes, he, he recruited people for Copenhagen, that's fine. But those people went on to play in Hoffenheim, Bologna, uh, they went to play on the top five leagues, essentially, is what I'm trying to say here. So 
What I'm saying is that he can uh, adjust his levels, adjust his parameters, adjust his statistical analysis, adjust his, formula, his formulas to suit playing styles, to suit uh, competition levels, to suit maybe the, the strength of the league. So I've no, like, just, I, I, I've, uh, he's not going to be looking at the same talents that he's going to be looking to because they wouldn't have come to Copenhagen, if that makes sense. Um, he, he could be looking at better talents that display what he's looking for in certain positions at a better level. And it, it, it kind of goes that way. That like Brentford, don't, Brentford won't, wouldn't have looked at Wesley last year to buy him. Much and all as they might have wanted to buy him. Villa looked at him, and, and, and I know I'm going to get panned for saying Wesley because he's like Marmite. People either like him or they don't. We'll, call, we'll say Douglas Louise, okay? We got Douglas mm-hmm. Louise for what? 12, 15, 10 million? Can't remember exactly what it was. Brentford didn't, wouldn't have looked at him because they couldn't afford him. But I can guarantee you they want him in his team. And he would have fit mm. a lot of things that they would have done. So we've, you have to talk about tiers and levels, I suppose, from that point of view. And yes, he did it in Copenhagen, but you can only play with the deck that you're dealt. You know? so exactly. As you move on to Aston Villa, it's his formula, it's his process that people are looking for. Not, they're not really even looking at the, at the players that he signed. That's fantastic. And his track record is fantastic. It's his thought process, his formula, his, his ideology that I think people are looking to, to bring into the club. Would that be correct in saying? Yeah, exactly. I, I, saw, I saw one comment that was, that's great, but we don't need 900k Danish players. But if you actually look, you actually look at the 900k Danish player, that was a player who signed from the Danish second division who scored 30 goals in their title-winning season, it's sold him for 9 million the season after, <laughs> and then went on to get nine assists in the Bundesliga, Hoffenheim. Like, you there know, you if, he can sign, if he can sign a 900k Danish player that's that good, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, it's, it's because, the, because of Jim White's yellow tie and the fact that <laughs> it flashes across the bottom of your screen when it's 90 million pound Danish player, it, I couldn't object, like the best players that we Villa have ever had have been for meager sums of money. We like mm. we are that team that we get a Paul McGrath for half nothing. He comes in, and as you know, but but the name of the podcast, I bloody love him. He he comes in, he's the best player, one of the best players we've ever had. Brian Little didn't pay anything for best player. Like this is the this is the type of team we are. We're not Galacticos, and and I prefer like I love I jump again. Who the hell has given out about spending 2.5 million to, to Hibs? We have got one of the best and most dynamic midfielders. He would get into most teams in this Premier League. And when we sell him, he's going to go for 30, 40, 50. So it's John McGinn. It, like it's, it, nobody gives out about John McGinn. Yet this is what this guy's been brought in to do is to find more John McGinn's. Yeah. Well, if you look at a championship promotion, we spent, you know, 30 million combined on Hogan and McCormack. But it was actually the the two million Hurahan and the three million McGinn that got us promoted. Yeah. And another way to look at it as well is if he can do that, if Lang can do what he did at Copenhagen with a three million budget, imagine what he could do with a hundred million budget. Like yep. it does scale up. He's not just going to sign sixty two million pound Danish players, is it? He's gonna scale it up he'll go for the likes of Buendia and yeah. whoever from the championship it's not as I, I don't think there's any reason to be so skeptical just because he did it in Denmark I couldn't agree more I absolutely couldn't agree more 
And, and what makes me even like this guy a small bit more is he's got, he, know, he, he does know English football. And you know what? It's just after popping into my mind. I have a second cousin that played with Wolves on that team when he was, I'm almost certain, yeah, he would have been on that team when Stel Solbakken was, was uh, over them. Because I think it was Mick McCarthy, Dean Saunders. No, Mick McCarthy, Solbakken, Dean Saunders, I think is the way their management went. And then when Saunders was there, Anthony was sold to, to Walsall or he left. Go- yeah, so actually I just realised that I might be related to somebody who actually could give you the inside <laughs> scoop on Johan Lang, actually. So that's interesting. I try to give him a shout. And so if you're listening, give me a shout and let me know if this guy's sound. But he was in the league for, he was in uh, in English football for a year as well. So it's not mm. as if he's coming in cold into this whole situation. And also the Danish league, uh, are, are, he, they would have played in the Europa League quite a lot as well. So it's not as if he's only ever just bought players to compete at the Danish League. He's gotten them far in the Europa League. He's gotten, they've, they've been in the Champions League, I think, as well. And also the biggest thing, one of the biggest things I took from your thread as well on Twitter was he's rebuilt teams. In, in 2016-17, he's flogged off half his team and rebuilt mm-hmm. again. And he went for it again. In 2014-15, he, you mentioned that he had players, sold off a load of players. 16-17, 15-16 was a down year. 16-17, he bought those players and then flogged them off at the end of the year again. So he's built numerous teams. So he's not afraid to, to back himself to find the next big thing. Mm. And like in the last three years, Copenhagen have made £30 million of profit. And that, that's not necessarily out of his decision. That's out of recruiting good players, but being forced to sell them based on the finances of the league. Last summer, they sold their two best players in Skelvin Favro. Yet, they knocked Celtic out of the Europa League this season. Mm. They, they beat them 3-1 away from home. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, no, they're not a bad team at all. And they've been built for nothing. So... Yeah. With, with the financial backing, I really believe this is a really, really good appointment. I do too. And if you look at the Copenhagen, it's very interesting that you said that, that like they've sold their players, they knocked out Celtic. But when you look at their team as well, and this is another great thing that I saw, is that he's not afraid to take a punt, or not to take a punt, he's not afraid to, to, to buy an experienced player either. Because mm. their team is littered with 27, 8, 9, 30-year-olds as well. It's the young players that come in, make a massive name for themselves, and that's the conveyor belt. That gives them money to spend maybe on the wages for, and there's an Andre Bay and is there at the moment, uh, or sorry, Andreas Bay and Victor Fisher, people who know him from, from Middlesbrough, always mm-hmm. thought he was a good player at Ajax and uh, probably moved to the Premier League or moved to, to Middlesbrough, should I say, too early back then. He's still only 23, 24, 25, and he, and he joined the, that team as well. Rasmus Falk as well is on that team. So Danish internationals, he was able to coax them to FC Copenhagen as well probably with the lure of with, with European football. So it's not a case of getting 900,000 18-year-old Danish kids in. He marries those with the older players. And that brings, I suppose, onto, onto another piece that I've that's just popped into my mind, that our owners have come out and said they want to build on this with Premier League experience. Yet the, you may be kind of, there may be a thought that there might be mixed messaging from, from them signing Lang as well. But would you think that it would be probably like he's not going to come in here and implement this one in the next six weeks. Mm. Would you think that it's a possibility that this month, that this year that we let him to look after that side, we already would have our transfer list maybe written up 
uh, to the best of our ability. And we're going to be looking at maybe getting in some experienced players to complement our squad. And then he can then work back around towards the end of the transfer window and then flood it in with younger players uh, to kind of supplement the squad then as well. Do you think that, the, that we'll probably see maybe the, an original transfer list and then Johan Lang's uh, stamp on it towards the end? So essentially what I'm trying to say here is we get players in that are going to help Dean Smith straight away and then we get in those exciting young players in uh, probably later on in the transfer window to kind of help uh, supplement the squad. Is that something that you would see yourself yeah, I can definitely see that sort of thing happening because obviously when you start recruiting players at 19, 20, 21 years old, they're not going to come straight in and be straight away our best players bar probably a couple of exceptions. You know, like Douglas Louise, for example, is now one of our best players. But when he first came in, he wasn't, you know, lighting up the league. Uh, so it, it is a process. So I think getting a team together that's maybe slightly older to sort of, establish ourselves in the Premier League, just avoid relegation while Lang starts to build up the youth and starts to sign up the 20-year-olds. So then in a couple of years, they can start to really make the first team a lot younger. And then we have a, you know, an 11 of 23, 24, 25-year-olds that are more than good enough to finish mid-table in the Premier League. And we can just get that conveyor belt going, as you mentioned. But I, I do definitely think that it will take a couple of years before those players can routinely start flooding through. Um, mm. So signing a couple of slightly older players might be the way to go this transfer window. Yeah, I, th- I think that is, that's probably, I think that th- this is a longer term vision for the club uh, mm. in respect to the fact that, as you mentioned there, solidify your Premier League status bring in the younger players, let them grow with the club. We've got a core group of players, as I've mentioned previously on other podcasts, we've got a core group of players there with this club straight through until 2023. Uh, the likes mm. of Tyrone Mings, McGinn signed a new deal, Jack Grealish signed a new deal. Um, we've got uh, Mings, McGinn, Grealish, Ezri Kanza. There's tons, tons and tons of players uh, that are signed through that period because of the massive recruitment that we had last year. So there is the... The, the club can see that, and, and, and we've got rich owners, provided we don't start to yo-yo up and down through the leagues. The sustainability aspect will be there from a financial point of view. Uh, and, and uh, sorry, they will be able to sustain us with the view of becoming a sustainable club, just like Liverpool have done. Liverpool have become a sustainable club, um, mm. and they become a sustainable club because everybody says they just robbed all Southampton's players, but it's not as simple as that <laughs> because Southampton did this previously. Southampton did this uh, years ago, and they brought in players like Sadio Mane. They brought in players like um, God. I can't think of any of their players now. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Adam Lallana. Adam Lallana. Well, I think Adam, yeah, Lallana was was with them for a while previous to that. But they they did. They brought through players along those lines and and, and allowed them to flourish that way. Um, so. Yeah, look, if we become half as successful as Liverpool have over the last five years, um, I don't think anybody will, will, will worry too much about it. Um, just very briefly, though, and, and I know, look, Jesus, I, I, I said to you beforehand, I said, yeah, look, we'll stay on for 15 minutes, and we've been over 20 minutes already. But where do you think that analytics itself comes down on the greater spectrum of... Um, of the game of, and I'm going to call it soccer because uh, the reason I'm going to call it soccer is because I do, I, I look an awful lot into analytics for American sports, especially American football and stuff like that. And, and I find it fascinating um, with American football that 
they don't like betting on sports in the States, yet they like to have all the stats bang on so that you can almost predict everything. Mm. But they, and I think that's why they don't like betting. Um, but when it, comes to, when it comes to soccer and obviously American sports where they have focused so, heav- so heavily on analytics and sp- on statistics and so on, where do you think that the two maybe cross over and where do you think it becomes kind of difficult for, the, for maybe sports that rely on statistics and sports that, that don't to kind of, uh, to, to kind of separate? So what, what's your feelings on, on kind of analytics and soccer in general? Well, I think in American football, it's very, very stop-start compared to in soccer. Um, and that makes it a lot easier to break it down into statistics because, you know, you've got your quarterbacks passing for yards, the receivers receiving for a certain number of yards and different plays. And you can sort of break it down a lot more than you can in football or in soccer, sorry. Um, and so I think, obviously, statistics can help your understanding in soccer, but they can't be as factual as they can in American football. Yeah. H- however, I, I think when you look into soccer, most of the good players will have good numbers as well. And actually, the players with bad numbers, in two years down the line, you'll probably go, huh, they're not as good as I thought they were. Um, so numbers in soccer can really be used as like a preliminary tool because if they've got if if you watch them play and then you go you know this guy's pretty good they'll probably have decent numbers but if they have decent numbers they're not necessarily good um so i think the, the best way to use them is as a preliminary tool to sort of go right there's a million players in the world 200 of them have numbers good enough for Villa. So we'll just watch mm. those 200 instead of randomly watching a million players. And then, then you, can, you can actually narrow down the player pool of players that you want by using the numbers. That's actually really interesting because I hadn't really, really thought of that. Uh, but that is interesting because I suppose if you can uh, specialise, not specialise, uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking at, maybe focus in certain areas... Uh, over time, um, uh, over time, you know, you will get that right. So there will be kind of a betting in period, I think, for that. That that's why I think this year they are going to sign uh, experienced pros uh, from the Premier League because it's going to take a time take time to kind of figure out what do we want, when do we want to, like what age groups do we want this from, where are we going to look for. So you're to to narrow down your filter, I suppose. Really, is it's going to take time for him to come in and do that over the course of mm. this year. Um, but that's really interesting, and I suppose uh, like. It could be a situation that, look, we all look at Jack Grealish. And Jack Grealish is a fantastic player. Yet you talk to someone from Leicester and they say he's a, he's a you know, floppy-haired diver who never gets up <laughs> off the ground. Yet you come up with a stat yesterday that says he's dribbled the ball further, uh, 14.1 kilometers over the course of the season. That's the most of any player in Europe's top five leagues. Mm-hmm. Like... Your eyes will deceive you. So there are situations whereby bias, human bias, human situations, just like with referees, your eyes will deceive you, but the numbers may not. So if you're making decisions on your eyes only from a scouting and a talent identification point of view, and you're completely blind to the numbers, yes, you may get stuff right. Absolutely. Look, you may, you may be, have a talent for it. 
But to mitigate risk, having numbers and having the traditional methods together as a cross-reference, as a checks and balances, has to be 100% more uh, efficient than not mm -hmm. having them, if you know what I mean. And I know that when we had, we tried this previously, I think it was with Paddy Riley. Paddy Riley uh, was here with Lambert and, and Sherwood and, and a couple more. Like we, we saw influxes of players uh, for smaller money from the continent. But I think the biggest problem there was that from the top down, people weren't really on board with it. There was one person, mm. Randy Lerner was trying to sell the club and he was kind of like going, let's try this. Let's try and bring people in. I'll get, I'll get a bigger return on my investment because we could bring in a, an Alex Tonev. He'll bring him in for 2.5 million and Nicholas Alenius. <laughs> we'll flog him off for 10 million at the end of the year when they score in a couple of goals. And it never transpired because the manager at the time never felt fully comfortable in playing them. So therefore they didn't get exposure. Their confidence dwindled. Paddy Riley or whoever, I think it was Paddy Riley that made those decisions, I'm almost certain. He then was getting frustrated because he was bringing players in and being made out to be the bad guy. He gets the road after he brings in the likes of Jordan Veritu, uh, Jordan Mavi brings in Jordan Ayew. That time we got all the three Jordans who've gone on to be very good players since, by the way. They just didn't, yeah. they didn't do it at Villa. So it needs to be a top-down approach. And this is, probably, this is why I like it because Dean Smith, you mentioned Brentford. We're going back to the right back to the start of the conversation again. You mentioned Brentford. And Dean Smith, where did he manage? Brentford. What have Brentford done for the last five, six, seven years? This very exact situation. So anybody I think that is skeptical about this, I would be a bit more optimistic than skeptical if I was you, because this isn't a knee-jerk reaction and a change of direction out of nowhere. I think that this has been in the pipeline for some time, and I think that they thought they could probably get it with Patash. And if you looked at Dwayne Balaga's uh, notes that said that Perslow and Smith wanted to go one way, uh, Patash wanted to go another way, I, I don't particularly buy the Nzanzi drink water thing. Uh, it could be true, I don't know. But having everybody from the top down on the same page is going to make things an awful lot better because we don't need to be changing managers or we don't need to be changing technical directors at the drop of a hat at the end of every year. Mm -hmm. So I'm all for that. Yeah, and I think, as you mentioned about the season we went down, the players that we were bringing in with the Jordans, Adrissa Gay, Adama Traore. Gay, I think geez, yeah. That, that was really the season we got it right, actually, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that was probably the best year of recruitment that we've had. Yeah. The, but the th the thing is, we didn't have the starting base, the base of experienced Premier League players who were already good enough, were already ready to lead the squad. And that's why, as you mentioned about this summer, maybe we should bring in a few experienced Premier League players that we know can do the job, as well as the slightly younger players, so that you know, it, it, if we had a couple players that would keep us in the league, then two years down the line or five years, four years, five years down the line, when Adama Traore, Jordan Veritu, Jordan Amavi, all of them are as good as they are now, then they're all still playing for Villa in the Premier League. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And it really yeah. is as simple. It, that's, it's that easy. Well, it's that easy when you get it right. But that's what yeah. good looks like. You know, they, Liverpool have gotten ex Liverpool have gotten extremely lucky as well with their with their transfer business. Now, look, you know they've mitigated um, they've mitigated any any um, any risk that they would have because they've done their homework. But you see it, they they had the luxury of seeing a lot of their players 
perform in the Premier League and spending 80 million on Virgil van Dijk and spending whatever 40 million on Sadio Mane and spending 40 million, 20 million, 30 million on Lovren and Nathaniel Klein who went on to different paths and you know so they've they've had uh, they had that luxury of seeing these players but essentially they did the same thing except what they did was they just wrote bigger checks they got players that yeah. they wanted to fit in and then they um, they did that and uh, they're reaping the rewards now uh, with Jurgen Klopp so it's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all to be written. I'm super optimistic, and, and, and I hope that we can see this top-down approach for, for numerous transfer seasons, to, transfer windows to come, because it's going to need four, five, six years. And I don't mm-hmm. think we've got trigger-happy trigger happy um, owners uh, anymore that will get frustrated and fed up, because I think this team will always be built with, the, with an eye on uh, the worst-case scenario, but with uh, also an eye on this is we are looking to be progressive and ambitious, as they mentioned in their in their statement, progressive and ambitious. Mm. So that is uh, that's ex- and that's what you're seeing. You're seeing somebody that's being progressive by embracing the use of technology and the use of statistics in their scouting processes. So it's all to be written, and I, and I, I for sure am really really looking forward to it. Stephen, I have taken up tons and tons of your day and I'm so sorry for that I took it way longer than I expected to nearly 20 minutes more but uh, for everybody who uh, isn't following Stephen he's on Villa Villa Analytics I for one have the little bell marked beside the name so I get notifications every time he posts there's some really good stuff up there uh, even recently last night he retweeted from the United Arena about ball reception zones to see where, where certain teams are, are picking up the ball and where their attacks are coming from and, and the Premier League is a copycat league it looks like when you look at that kind of stuff <laughs> um, also there was a great stat uh, there's, there's been great stats throughout you know as you go down through it so have a look at it. It's uh, it's very informative. It's if that's your bag, you won't be um, won't be disappointed. And I thank you so much for coming on to the pod uh, today, Stephen. And uh, if you'd like, to, anytime you ever want to come back on, you're more than welcome. I'd gladly sit here and talk about statistics and weird and wonderful numbers all day long with you because uh, you're a mine of information. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you very uh, much for having me on. Not at all, not at all. It's my pleasure. So, as I mentioned, everybody, get following at Villa Analytics if you're not following already. You can follow us here on the pod at, at Love McGrath Pod. Uh, Paddy, who is gone off on his Holly Bobs, he's on at Villa Paddy. Um, you can catch us on any podcast network, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there at this stage. I've been blown away by the numbers that have listened to the last few podcasts. Like, we're in the top 20. Uh, sports or uh, sorry the top 50 sports podcasts in ireland and in the top 20 soccer podcasts in ireland i can't get my my head around that uh, thanks so much for everybody for listening and as i always say um if you've got a mate who's a villa fan and you think you might enjoy it if he pops off to the to the toilet at any stage rob his phone sign him up for the, for the podcast he'll thank you for it later i'm sure when he sees it inside his podcast uh, listings um so everybody look as i said the future is bright we've got uh we've got smart men at the helm it seems we've got a top-down thinking arrangement here dean smith is going to like this this is not forced upon dean smith he is going to like this he's worked under brentford and i'm looking forward to seeing over the next couple of weeks what the the weird and wonderful transfer links that come out of this are going to be and that are going to shape Aston Villa into the 2020-2021 season. So once again, Stephen, thank you very much for popping on. Thank you much. Thank you very much to everybody for listening. And all that's left to say is up the villa. Up the villa.
Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.